Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. We are recording a bit of a special episode today. Uh, not specially in a celebratory way or in a good way, but more of a change of format. Um, and it's a special episode because today we're just going to be covering what the latest is with the coronavirus and how COVID-19 is, is affecting people. And we wanted to provide some cut through with all of the you know, overwhelming media coverage that everybody is getting bombarded with because it can cause information fatigue and paranoia and, you know, a lot of panic. And you should be very, very concerned about this pandemic. But panic is not the way to handle it. And I thought just cutting through some of this would help maybe clarify for some people, maybe make people rest a little bit easier at night. I'm not sure. But I wanted to just put my take down and and let you guys hear it. And maybe it helps. I don't know. Maybe it's just another cog in the wheel of, of all of this information overload. But I just wanted to provide some context for it. So in terms of where we are now, we're over 200,000 cases globally. And I think we're around 8,000 deaths. So this is clearly, as we've seen, prompting a response from governments across the world to take drastic action financial injections, travel restrictions, quarantinings, etc. But what I wanted to do was provide some context, you know, advice and thoughts about the current situation that we're finding ourselves in and how to weed through some of the nonsense that you are hearing and some of the mixed messages that you're hearing and just give a bit of advice about maybe some of the actions that you can take in response to what's going on. Um, I think the first place to start is what this thing actually is because a lot of people don't even know that and there's a lot of misinformation going about going around about its origin, how it comes to be, how it infects, etc. So just to cut through again some of that, it's quite simply a new type of coronavirus which originated in what they call a wet market in Wuhan, China. A wet market is a place where you effectively can buy you know, any sort of protein that you like. And what I mean by that is animal protein. So bats, dogs, ferrets, chickens, whatever. But in these wet markets, the standards of hygiene are almost non-existent in a lot of cases. The best evidence that I've seen about how this virus originated was from a particular type of bat that was probably consumed, uh, was definitely consumed by a human being. And that bat mixed with other animals would have triggered some sort of a response from this virus to mutate and be able to jump from animals to humans. Now, if you listen to the virologists speak, and I've listened to a number of them, they say that these markets are scientists' wet dream. And if they wanted to discover what happens if you let you know chickens and ferrets live on top of each other, or bats and dogs living in close quarters, 
this would be the perfect environment to study how a super virus is created and transmitted and passed on to people. And as I said, the hygiene in these markets, from what I'm hearing, is is pretty much none. Like, it's non-existent. So, I mean, this raises questions about global agriculture and the population that is so large and how we feed them all. You think people... Like, do you think they want to eat bats and dogs? I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a problem with producing that much food for such a massive amount of people and maybe it not being allocated in the right ways. Um, but, but what actually is coronavirus? Coronaviruses are a group of viruses and they cause infections within uh, mammals and birds, right? Depending on the type of animal that it originates in, that's going to determine how it affects human once it jumps from animals. But generally, all coronaviruses affect human respiratory functions. To some degree or another, and we've seen these before, we've seen... Other coronaviruses like SARS or MERS. And the RS is always respiratory syndrome. And with something like SARS, we've seen multiple outbreaks of this. I think the first one was in 2008. I think the last, the second one was last year or the year before. So this is already worse than those. And we're still on the ramp up phase which, you know, gives me pause as to the concern of how serious this thing is. And I've personally been very aware of this since we learned of the outbreak in Wuhan, and I didn't like the way it sounded, and I thought it was much more detrimental and much more serious than the media and the government were telling us at first. And obviously they have to do some damage control not to create panic and whatnot, but I just kept an eye on it and saw it kind of saw it spreading and I just thought something is going to happen here. And, you know, sure as, you know, sure as I sit here before you now, it just started catching fire. And, and, and obviously I don't need to explain to you where we are in the situation currently. But some of the misconceptions around this COVID-19 are the symptoms. And I wanted to talk quickly just about the symptoms because some of the symptoms that are being reported are are not actually related to this virus so again it's a misinformation issue that we've got here where it can it can again it's a misinformation problem here because the actual symptoms from the virologists that I've heard as to what coronavirus, how coronavirus manifests, is through a dry hacking cough that persists, then you experience headaches, then that gargling breathing. You know that, that breathing that's not it's not clear, it's kind of like a like it kind of sounds a bit gargly, if you know what I mean. 
Um, and then fever. Vomiting and diarrhea from this virus is very, very, very uncommon to the point where it's almost not even recognized as one of the main symptoms or, or two of the main symptoms of, of identifying corona. In fact, the hacking cough and the fever are the most pre uh, prevalent ones. Most people are saying, and the doctors and the health officials are repeating this, is that most people will experience mild symptoms. But the awareness of those symptoms is what's key because early detection of those symptoms will allow you to self-quarantine and isolate and potentially stop further spread of this virus. So it's really critical that you know we look at ourselves very, very carefully in terms of what are we manifesting? If we feel a bit sick, if we feel a bit under the weather, what are we actually manifesting? Is it a corona virus, a COVID-19 symptom, or is it maybe just the flu because we're in flu season as well? And if you're, you know, if you've got fever, that can cross both. But if you're really vomiting or if you've got, you know, diarrhea or like a loose stomach or any of that stuff, it may just be the flu or some other ailment rather than COVID-19. That said, they're projecting that 80 to 90% of all of us are going to get this thing anyways, but I just thought it was worth mentioning what the actual symptoms are from the World Health Organization because, again, we can get paranoid, and paranoia can almost act as like a, like a conduit for you starting to feel certain symptoms, and that's not healthy because if you, if you drag yourself down from stress, you're likely to experience some sort of, you know, flu and cold type of symptoms, right? You get you get weak, you, your bones get a bit achy, you don't feel well, you know, you're a bit congested, you're not sleeping well, you might have a bit of a temperature, all of that. But that can also be induced by stress. And I'm not saying that people are just being paranoid about this, obviously, because we've got thousands and thousands of cases, and it's growing seemingly by the hour. But I thought, well, let's talk about what the, well, the World Health Organization is putting out as the actual symptoms of this. And maybe that will allow us a bit more clarity on what we're feeling or what we're experiencing. And maybe give us a bit of pause before we look at, you know, going straight down that rabbit hole to say, I must have it. Let me Google it. Because if you Google health symptoms or if you search on the internet anywhere for what are my symptoms, what are the symptoms of this, or I have these symptoms, what does it mean? Nine times out of 10, you're going to have a life-threatening illness. It's just not a qualifiable way of self-diagnosis, right? So take heed to what the World Health Organization is saying in terms of what the actual symptoms are, and then just be prepared and be aware because preparation is everything with this. Because without a vaccine, we're probably likely, well, what they're saying is we're probably 8 to 12 months away from actually having a vaccine. The problem with that is it can come back around flu season again, which is only a few months down the road. So we could go through summer, this thing could potentially die down but not get sorted, and then it could flare back up in the wintertime and come back with a vengeance, right? It could mutate, it could get stronger and adapt, so on and so forth. Don't forget, as we said on a previous episode, these viruses have been around for millions and millions and millions of years. They didn't just crop up out of thin air. They've just been waiting, you know, for a way to get stronger or mutate somehow some way and trigger that that response that 
allows them to transfer from, as I said before, animals to humans, which has happened right now. Um, so if we're 12, if we're 8 to 12 months away from a vaccine, it's important to protect yourself. And this goes towards the preparation. And we've been told not to panic buy, and we'll get into some of that, you know, a little later on. But what can you do to protect yourself right now? The first thing to to do, in my opinion, is ensure that you got to ensure that if you take any medication, you're backfilled. You do not want to count on the supply chains, you know, holding up. They say they're good now, but if they get disrupted because this thing keeps spreading, there's a real potential because most of our medication comes from India and China. So that has to cross, you know, international supply chains. And if that gets disrupted, then there could be a shortage of your medication. It's just a fact. It's not a panic message. It's just a fact to be prepared. So if you are on medication, then order those. Try to get a little bit extra in and prepare yourself for, you know, maybe not having the ability to go and get more in a few weeks' time. Because we may be in complete lockdown in a week or so. Who knows? Order supplies of the critical things you require. If it's inhalers, if it's insulin, whatever, blood pressure medication, you name it. If it's possible, still at this point, then that should be your number one, number two priorities. Then I would advise that you stock up on vitamins. Because let's be honest, not enough of us have the sort of immune system that we need to amply protect or fight against a virus as aggressive and as contagious as this. So if you can stock up on things, I mean, I take, personally, I take a multivitamin, I take a little bit of additional B12, I take 5-HTP, I take probiotics every single day, I take fish oils and echinacea as well. And I try to do that in the morning and in the evening. And it just makes you feel a little better, You know you're putting those kind of key micronutrients in your body. And that can't be a bad thing because most of us eat a pretty terrible diet, which means that in some way, shape, or form, we're going to be deficient in some key micronutrients. We're probably deficient in our macronutrients for a large portion of the population as well. But it's the micronutrients. It's the magnesium. It's the zinc. It's the vitamin Bs. It's, you know, all of these things that you need to really level up your system and bring it to an optimized position. So if you can, and if you've got the resources to do it, one of my other suggestions would be to go and stock up on vitamins. And I named some of the ones that I take. I think a multivitamin is a great start for most people that just is a sort of a a comprehensive mix of sort of 15, 20, 30 different, you know, micronutrients that you can take one pill morning, one pill at night, and you are, you know, you're doing a lot better than most people do. The next thing that I'm going to suggest is something that we've talked about a hundred times on this show before, but I can't bang on about it enough because again, like the micronutrients and like the diet, most people don't have their physical health in check. One of the best things you can do to boost your immune system to get all of the hormones in the body working the way they should to, you know, again, just really boost you up and level you up to a place where you have You have the ability and the strength to fight off a virus, and that's exercise, okay? 
even if it's a brisk walk around the block with the dog or by yourself, not only will it help boost your immune system, but cabin fever is a real thing. And a lot of us, a lot of us are being forced now, most of us are being forced now to work at home. And if this isn't a regular occurrence for you, then it can be a bit daunting and a bit alien. And you can find yourself doing what I think is one of two things. One, working nonstop and forgetting to take proper breaks. And the second is not doing anything at all and just floundering. Either one is not good. But you don't want boredom to lead to overactivity or inactivity. And you also don't want, if it's inactivity, you don't want that to become boredom that then leads you into snacking, for instance. And I've been a bit guilty of this over the past few days. I've been snacking on the wrong foods and, you know, just convenience food. And maybe I'm a bit stressed because of all of the, all of this nonsense is, is on a loop, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the moment. But you don't want your boredom to completely, you know, you don't want to let boredom lead you to do nothing. You've got to stay active. As I said, if you're not exercising, you're naturally setting yourself up to have uh, a weaker immune system and to make it more likely that you can catch a virus if you're around someone who's infected. So um, I'm sure there's already corona workouts, you know, corona or COVID-19 workouts on YouTube and, and it shouldn't be hard to find a little guidance in terms of what you can do exercise-wise in your living room or if you have a backyard or just some spare space in another room that you can go and do some body weight exercises, some push-ups or some lunges and some squats and, you know, things like that. But just search YouTube and have a look. Um, you know, people are so opportunistic that I'm sure if you if you search COVID-19 home workouts or corona home workouts, you would get hit with a, with a you know, a flurry of search results on that. Um, exercise is also really good because it's it can break up the day and that can stop you from just staring at the computer for eight hours and not taking those necessary breaks because it's not good just to be, you know, a foot away from your screen for a full work day. You wouldn't do that if you were in the office. You would get up to go to the toilet. You would get up to go potentially out to get some lunch or to eat some lunch. You would have the commute on the way home and, and to work. You know, so the day is a bit broken up. You would chat with people who are around you and maybe that's not an option. So exercise is also a great way just to, like I said, break up the day when you're working from home and it's good for everyone. And if now isn't the time to be focused on your health and optimizing your lifestyle and your well-being, I don't know what is, guys. You know, so take op- take the opportunity to explore exercise as a way of taking a break from your work and making yourself feel a little better. You know, it's amazing what happens when the blood starts flowing, you know, and you get you get a bit of movement through your joints after sitting down for, you know, for an extended period of time. It's it's a beautiful thing. And and like I said, if you're not going to do it now, when you're basically forced to be sitting in the house doing nothing. Gyms are going to be closed in a couple of days, so you're not even going to have the opportunity to do that. But I'm not talking to people who go to the gym regularly. I'm talking about the regular office worker who probably doesn't have a great lifestyle anyhow. What a perfect opportunity just to explore something in the privacy of your own home that can optimize your life, optimize the way you feel, optimize the way you perform, and give you a better immune system that can protect you against this nonsense. So... Give me a shout. Hit me up on Twitter if you want any ideas. I'm happy to help, but I'm not 
I'm not opportunistic where I'm going to be putting body weight workouts and home workouts on online just to get a few clicks and a few likes. You can find that stuff yourself. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about was the government's response to this whole situation. I'm specifically referring to the UK government for anybody that's listening, you know, in the US or in Europe or wherever else you might be. I'm actually talking specifically about my government, the UK government. And the response from Boris Johnson and the Conservatives has been slow. It's been subpar. It's been slow. It's been indecisive. They're you know, they're not coordinating with other countries in the UK. Scotland has been giving different advice than Wales and Northern Ireland. And, you know, Britain's been getting uh, different advice as well. You know, so the clarity of communication that's coming from the Boris Johnson government is is terrible, in my opinion. And it's still, even now, not even close to being up to scratch. Because in my opinion, we should have closed borders, self-quarantine, and set up procedures to have people tested while, uh, while they're at home. And provided this stimulus package that was announced yesterday, that should have been done last month. But again, like government, like industry, they're reactive. They're not proactive. There's no proactive measures that have been taken. They're currently scrambling to get ventilators just so they can hopefully deal with some of the people that are going to catch this now in London. Never mind the rest of the country. So they're wholly unprepared, wholly unaware of how badly they're, they're communicating these messages and what that's actually doing to the public as a consequence, which is all the things that we've talked about to this point. You know, self-doubt, paranoia, you know, panic, all of this. And I just think it's been a really shambolic job to this point because their advice has been contradictive to the evidence that we're seeing, they say, don't panic buy. The supply chains are strong. We've got enough stock. Yet we're already having movement restricted and we're being told to quarantine for two weeks at least. And for those that are 70 or above, it's up to four months. If you walk through any supermarket in this country, I almost, I, I would almost bet my house that most of the shelves are absolutely empty. It looks like a war zone. It looks like something out of a post-apocalyptic scene, and it is worrying. They're gonna, they've just announced today, so it's Wednesday evening, and I've just gotten home from a personal training client, the last one of those I'm going to be doing for a while as well. But they've announced they're the closing schools as of Friday. I think it's incredible that it's taken this long to do it, but at least they've finally done that. The only reason that they were hesitating, well, there was two reasons that they were giving. One, the stress of the healthcare um, system if they had to remove all of the healthcare workers that were parents to look after their kids if they'd close schools. That was one thing, which is valid because I think there's 25 or 30% of healthcare workers that are parents. So that's, you know, that, that's a real thing. But the other thing is, they were saying that it wasn't much of a threat in terms of the contagion aspect of this virus. They said it didn't have that many health implications to the point where we had to worry about it. And I thought this was particularly uh, ignorant on their part because they're giving you information that they don't know. What they're saying is that the kids can catch it because it doesn't affect them. But if you rewind the tape a week... This was only an 80-year-old and above problem. 
And then suddenly a couple of days later, oh, well, now it's creeping down into the 70s and the 60s. Then we start to hear the virus is affecting people in their 50s, in their 40s. Now we've got patients in their 30s and in their 20s. And to offset this, to try to mitigate the worry about this, they say, oh, well, and I've said it on this podcast, most people will experience mild symptoms. That may be the case. However, it also may not be the case. So just to allow children to become infected with this disease with the hopes that, you know, 99.9% of them are not going to get anything other than really a cold, the transmission aspect of who those children interact with is a massive problem. So the government's inaction to not close schools before announcing it today, which will actually take place on Friday, so we've got 48 more hours for kids to contract pass it on, and then continue spreading it. They were just on a wait-and-see type of play for this. And I just think that's completely irresponsible. I get the healthcare worker aspect of it. But if we would have been proactive in this rather than so reactive, perhaps these measures could have been in place before it got to this point. But that's a, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda type of argument. And we're here now, so we have to deal with it. But like the government, most companies have not been proactive in their response to this. They've just followed the inept guidance of the government. We've had very few real leaders, and this is a problem, right? This is a massive problem for me. We've had very, very little leadership from government or industry to say, we are jumping ahead of this problem to protect our employees. The reason is because all of these people answer to profit and loss um, ledgers, right? That's all they do. They answer to a P&L, a profit and loss report that they have to pass on to someone who controls their life, i.e. a boss, i.e. a shareholder, i.e. someone who has more control over their life than they do. So the people at the top across industry have not reacted to this the way they should have. This should have all been done a month, six weeks ago. But instead, we're sitting here with companies worried, big corporations who should be set up for remote working, and we're going to get to remote working in just a minute, to just say, let's wait and see. Let's follow the government guidance and we'll be okay. Completely irresponsible, complete lack of leadership on all parties' behalf. I mean, I haven't seen one good example where a company has been so proactive that they've said, you know what, guys, we're geared up to work remotely. You guys go and be safe. Haven't seen it. I've seen quite the opposite. But people should have been working from home straight away. And then they could have increased the restrictions from there. And again, it just shines a light on two things really for me. One is the remote working and the fact that more companies don't allow it or aren't geared up to even support it. And if you're a business owner, with the exception of those, I would say probably in the service industry, uh, which include like construction, hospitality, the medical professionals, gig workers, you know, freelancers, uh, you know, self-employed, you know, sole proprietors of businesses, If you are outside of that group of 
professions that I just mentioned, and you don't have a remote working policy in place, your business is the same as driving down the highway with a bunch of Teslas and you're pushing a Flintstones car. That's how behind the curve you are in terms of a business leader and how you run your organization. It doesn't cut it anymore. And if you don't have a remote working policy for all of your staff, let's say in the media game or the business world, the finance world, any of this stuff that's done with a fucking computer, and you don't have a remote working policy in place, you are so behind the eight ball. You are so far behind. And then I say that, but I don't really see too many of these companies out there. So it's like, is everybody just inept? Or is it only these companies that have a high female employee number that have to take this into account because of things like maternity leave, flexible working, you know, all of that stuff? Because there are too many companies that have pushed this right to the limit and only announced that office closures will be happening as of this week. Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm lucky. I work remotely uh, part-time anyhow. So my company, for the people who can, you know, beginning of last week, they rolled out, you know, the ability to just work from home as much as you like. And then later on the week, they announced the office closures, which was great. And we're, and I'm super lucky in that regard because, as I said, I know there's a ton of companies out there that just do not have a clue. The second thing that makes me think about is in regards to the fact that people should have been working from home and that more, you know, more people aren't, especially in the service industries that I mentioned and the gig, you know, economies that, that I mentioned. The second thing it makes me think about is how this is going to accelerate the move the move towards um, automation. Because if you think about how business as usual would, uh, like business as usual would continue, in a situation like this, if robots were able to, let's say, drive, stock shelves, process orders, serve coffees, you know, all of those types of things, lift, do the construction, you know, all of those things that I just mentioned previously. If robots could do that, we wouldn't be in the economic situation that we're heading towards. We wouldn't necessarily need the amount of bailout that they're proposing of injecting into, you know, into the economy to keep it afloat. And I say this not to encourage getting rid of humans from the workforce, but just to actually shine a light on the fact that it is inevitable. If you don't think that this is going to ramp up those CEOs, who don't give a shit about their employees ultimately other than the fact that they are worker bees producing an end product and a lifestyle for them that they want. If you don't think that they're already considering, is there ways that we can mitigate this ever happening again by moving towards automation? If you don't think that they're thinking that already, you're out of your mind. These are sociopaths that run these mega businesses, right? These 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 huge conglomerates, these huge organizations, they are psychopaths right they are a completely different breed of human being to the regular person on the street that's why they're running these massive organizations you don't get there by being a nice friendly you know uh you know benevolent person that looks out for everybody else it just doesn't happen there is psycho in all of these leaders any great achiever or super high achiever has gonna is gonna have these personality traits it just goes with the territory There may be a couple of exceptions out there, but I'd be hard-pressed to find them and name them. Um, 
But I just feel like there's going to be a rush towards automation now because people see that, oh, well, if Sainsbury's didn't have people that they needed to stock the shelves or to drive the trucks that bring the stock to the stores or people on the checkouts or people to clean the building, then they wouldn't give two shits about what this thing does to people other than the fact that they might lose some customers. But ultimately, you don't have to worry about you know spreading it to their employees and they're not going to have time off and therefore the business can keep running as usual because they're all you know R2-D2s. So if you don't think that this move towards automation is going to accelerate even more after this crisis, then I think that's a bit of naivete on your part. Um, and maybe maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I, I think it's a real it's a it's a real thing. It's it's something to be aware of. Which brings me to the opportunity, because there's always an opportunity in disaster, right? Money to be made, businesses to start up, futures to be built. All of that stuff happens during times of recession, times of depression, times of chaos, when everything is so low that it can only go one way and that's up. So as I said, there is money to be made here and there are opportunities to be grasped if you can look at this through the veil of chaos that is very real but is being leveled on us heavy every single day. We can get caught up in that negativity. And as I said, be aware. Be aware of all of it, but don't be consumed by it. That's a different thing. What you need to do is recognize what it is, recognize what you need to do, make sure you and your loved ones are taken care of, that you can continue working and making money. But then, like I said with the exercise in terms of breaking up the day, what if you allocated your commute time, let's say. So say your your, your commute time to work is an hour each way. So that gives you two hours a day. You don't have to do that while you're working at home. So that gives you technically two hours to do something else with. You could use that time to work out. You could use that time to spend with your family, you know, having breakfast or going for a walk. You could take the dogs out, all of that good stuff. But you can also allocate some time to you and manifesting what is next in your life. And I mean that by exploring the things you love to do. Could you spend an hour a day painting or writing or, like I'm doing, even though it's after hours, podcasting? Is there some creative endeavor that you could look to take and seize the opportunity to develop your skills within that arena when you've got a little bit of extra time on your hands? And that's the balance and the discipline between remote working correctly and incorrectly. So if your commute is a couple of hours a day, why not allocate that in your calendar to do something that you love doing? Reading, writing, all the things that we just talked about. Because I think one of the things that's truly become clear, I think for a lot of people, is the fact that their companies don't give a shit about them. My mother-in-law lives in Portugal. She's 65 years old. She's asthmatic. She still has to go into her office where there are hundreds of people being forced to work. They're not allowed to call in sick. They're not allowed to use their holiday allocation. They have to be at work or risk losing their job. And if this crisis isn't 
the perfect opportunity for you to explore doing something else like exercise. I don't know when the right time will come for you. Because do you want to be responsible for someone else's work or someone else's work from home policy? Wouldn't you rather have the freedom to say, you know what, I'm sleeping until 10 o'clock today because I can. When you're told that you have to put yourself in harm's way for someone else's profit, how does that make you feel? This is the opportunity what to, to explore what you're really passionate about and make it a reality. It is time to invest in yourself emotionally, physically, but also financially. Because as I said, when we're in a time such as we find ourselves now, with such kind of economic peril on the horizon or you know coming to fruition more and more each day, well, there's a time right now that if anybody out there has a little bit of disposable income, get in the market. Invest. Invest in the indexes. Invest in the stocks that are going low. Think about the industries that are suffering to the point of almost bankruptcy and failure right now. They're going to be bailed out so that these industries don't fully collapse. But their stocks are still going to be worthless until the whole thing rebounds and business as usual is back in play. And then what happens is those stocks go back up. And they go back up quick and fierce because everybody wants to return to normal. Because success is measured by the stock markets these days. Which is an unfair and unrealistic expectation to judge any sort of success by. But unfortunately that's the capitalistic world that we live in and that's the signal for success. Those are the markers for improvement. So while these things are low, for instance, the British pound, the sterling, is at a 35-year low. So their common sense says there is an opportunity to keep an eye on that currency market to see if there is an opportunity to buy it. Buy currency. Buy stock in that currency. Because if you buy it at a 35-year low, and we rebound, and it even goes up to where it was, you've made a ton of cash. And I'm not saying to throw your entire savings on it, but again, if you've ever thought about dabbling in the market and doing some investment, now would be an amazing time to explore that. With, obviously, investing only what you can afford to lose, and I know we're in precarious times, and people are worried about their cash flow, so on and so forth, but this is where opportunities are turned into destinies. And if you want a a financial injection and you can afford it, now would be the time. Can you imagine that in 12 months' time that the entire market has gone up by, I don't know, four, five times, six times, ten times on the rebound? Well, that just means you make multiples of your money. This is how... So Warren Buffett told a story... A long time ago, he met a bunch of potential um, mentees. Is that is that right right word? People he was going to mentor or give advice to, financial investment advice, so on and so forth. They met in Detroit, and for those of you that don't know, Detroit is a ghost town. It is derelict. They've had you know poisonous water. They suffered from the financial crisis of two thousand eight. You know buildings are abandoned, so on and so forth. 
So during that time, Warren Buffett saw an opportunity. What did he do? He went downtown Detroit and bought up all the buildings. What did he do with the buildings? He refurbed the buildings. He rented them out to incubator startup type of companies in the tech world, in the fintech world, in the finance world, etc. And as part of those, inve- in part of, in, by establishing those buildings and those office premises for those incubators to you know, facilitate their ideas and develop them and so on and so forth. He was on the front line to make other investments. So not only did he own the property and was receiving rent from all of these companies, he was also, because he's Warren Buffett, able to pick and choose the companies that he wanted to invest in. And that is the pure definition of making a fortune in a crisis. So just pay attention. Just pay attention. It's not, it doesn't have to all be doom and gloom. 24 hours a day, even though that's what the BBC is trying to tell us, even that's what CNN is trying to tell us and Sky News and everybody else and all the papers and, you know, they just want to say this is the end of times and it's a terrible situation for sure, but there's also opportunity and I think the government's actually capitalized on this opportunity because when you see a 350 billion pound stimulus package similar to the almost $1 trillion stimulus package that America has put together, it sounds absolutely wonderful because it's like, okay, they're coming to our rescue. And it's critical for so many businesses and workers around the country that you know a cash injection and financial support from the government, that's exactly what they're here to do. However, be careful of hemlock disguised as an olive branch. Because the difference between a fair loan and a grant is vast. There is a massive difference between the two. One is a gift and the other one is a responsibility. And in my opinion, with so much uncertainty around the full scale and duration of this problem, loans taken out with, say, a six-month grace period for repayment could actually come due before people are back on their feet. And additionally, who do you think is going to pay for all of this in the medium and long term? It's going to be the people who gave them the money in the first place. It's going to be us. So they're, you know, they're, they're, they're giving this out. They're making all of this money available, you know, in a, very, in a variety of parameters, grants and fair loans, as I said. But we're the ones that are going to have to pay this back because they don't just give out $350 billion and say, wasn't that nice of us? Okay, carry on your way. So in the medium and long term, we're the ones that will pay for this. So just be careful. Any business owners out there, the difference, and I'm sure you already know it, and I'm not trying to tell you how to suck eggs, but... The difference between a loan and a grant is massively different. It is night and day. So just be just be absolutely clear on the terms and conditions that you're signing up for because our taxes and the other services that will go up in price are going to help offset the burden on the business P&L. And the business in this particular uh, situation is the Bank of England and the government. You can expect rates to go up when this is under control, when this crisis all comes back under control. And if they don't, then it's another piece of evidence that government could have and should have done more to protect us against this problem in the first place. 
and doesn't care about the fundamental issues facing citizens. You can't just come out and say that we have an additional 15% of our entire GDP in the banks when people are starving, systems are under, you know, they're basically underwater, they're underfunded, they're under-resourced. And there are still massive gaps that haven't been accounted for with the bailout. And that includes some of the people that I mentioned before, including my own wife, you know, freelancers, self, um, sole proprietors, small business owners, people who basically don't get any income if they're not actually working. And it's all fine to say, you know, we're looking at bailing out the airlines and we're looking to bail out this industry and we're looking to support this type of person and we're looking at this and that. and that. But if they leave out the freelancers, the gig economy, the small business owners and, and people like my wife and people like, you know, so many others that I know, you're leaving a massive portion of the population unaccounted for. And that, in my opinion, is the true backbone of this nation and it needs to be supported to the fullest strength of the government's ability and by the sounds of it they've got enough money in the bank to be able to do all of it so they need to come out and be very clear and I haven't seen the latest news on some of this so I don't know if they've announced new measures towards freelancers and 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 small kind of private business owners but they need to and they need to do it ASAP so just to kind of wrap all of, of this up because I don't want to go much longer than I have about 45 minutes in I just want to kind of close by saying that, you know, this is this is really just a time for common sense to prevail. We need to definitely look after our own stable. That is first and foremost. You got to protect what's underneath your own roof and make that your number one priority. But it's also a time where possible to help the infirmed and the vulnerable. Because Again, with a country that can just turn around and go into its pockets and pull 350 billion quid out on a Tuesday makes me really wonder what the hell they're doing with the money that they take from us every month from our taxes and from our councils because I'm not seeing anything in terms of a sustained effort to fix some of the systemic problems in this country. But then a virus hits, we freak out, and they're ready to throw the whole budget, the whole economy at it. Where did this money come from? And that's another conversation for a completely different show. And we can get into the financials of, you know, the the money in the central banks and all of that. But that's that's a different conversation for a different show. But all I want to just say is is look after people if you can. But first and foremost is is what's you know, under your roof and in between your four walls. So look out for you and yours. Be safe, be smart, be aware. Don't panic. Don't let the negativity cloud your vision. Use this and see the opportunities that it presents for you to develop yourself physically, mentally, you know, creatively. And stay positive because we will be in front of this mess before you know it. And we'll look back and we'll say, man, I didn't see it. I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel back then, but you know, we're here now. We made it through. There were some casualties of war, which is terrible, and you know, we want that minimized as much as possible, but ultimately we will get through this and I think we just need to stay positive, stay sane, and just prepare. Because if you're not, you know, if you fail to prepare, you're prepared to fail, right? It's what they always say. So Get your stocks in, get your, 
you know, get your toilet paper in, you know, don't listen to the government about panic buying. You need to get what you're getting because this country might be on lockdown soon, on uh, lockdown soon. But until then, just stay positive, go outside, get some fresh air. Don't give yourself the cabin fever too quickly because, you know, we might be in this for a few months yet and, uh, and it'll definitely get worse before it gets better. So stay positive and, um, and that's it. So uh, I just wanted to kind of lend my thoughts to this, guys. But I hope you got something out of it, found it useful in some way, shape, or form. It you know gave you some information perhaps you didn't have or were a little bit confused about, and uh, and gave you something you know to think about and to chew on uh, whilst you're working from home in self isolation. So we're gonna publish this straight away, probably tomorrow morning. It's Wednesday night now. But thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we will have more shows coming. I don't know if I'm going to release another show this week, but I've got some interviews that are done and edited, and I want to get those out sooner rather than later, so you might get two episodes this week. But this one's just a corona episode, an update on the isolation and and what we need to do to prepare ourselves. So I hope you enjoyed the show, guys, and uh, as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and until then, all the best.